My psychic senses are telling me that you are spiritually curious. I'm just kidding. If you found your way here, most likely <laughs> you are interested or curious about energy, the secrets of the universe, the magic of the unseen. There is a lot of conflicting information out there about how to tune into energy beings properly, how to build your intuition, how to cleanse things, yada, yada, yada. I know how overwhelming it can be, so I created a one-stop shop for all of your spiritually curious, psychic expansive self-care needs where you can build your own spiritual practice with guidance, tools, and a safe place to explore your curiosities and connect to your intuition. There's a ton of crash courses covering topics ranging from meeting your spirit guides to trans-channeling to manifesting. You get distance Reiki healings for a wide range of needs, such as moving through discomfort or support stepping into a new chapter or even help calling in creativity. Subscribers get 15% off all full-price services, a monthly group Zoom hangout where the weird is our normal. There are exclusive channeling videos, expansive conversations, guided meditations, movement meditations, weekly reflections, intuitive practices, this podcast, ad-free and as a video, and so much more. New content is uploaded every week, so there's constantly new stuff for you to learn from, digest, and various practices to keep you grounded in your body. And all of this, might I add is only $7 per month. So if you're ready to align to your best self and show up as your inner being, a priceless investment in yourself, you can head over to channelwithamber.com slash subscribe to give it a peek. I'll see you over there. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Diary of a Psychic Medium with me, Amber Amrine. I am so excited to welcome you guys to my friend Lolly today. We have a great conversation. We talk about labels, the taboo of self-exploration, authenticity in marketing and social media, performance theory, vulnerability. We talk about so many topics. Um, ah, I love this conversation. I hope you do too. Here we go. Lolly is a dancer, artist, fashion lover, somatic coach, Reiki healer, and avid reader. With their coaching practice, Mindful Healing Touch, Lolly helps others heal trauma in their body, deepen their connection to intuition, and move through life with greater embodiment, curiosity, and ease. With their brand, Lolly Pop Culture, they seek to explore intersections of high art and commercial viability while building community for others to delve into artful explorations of identity. If you'd like to get in touch with Lolly, you can find them at mindfulhealingtouch.com or at mindfulhealingtouch if you want to go to Instagram or whatever, and also at lollipopculture.com. That's lolly with a Y instead of an I, so L-O-L-L-Y-P-O-P-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. That rhymed. And I should do a spelling bee. <laughs> and on Instagram at lollipopculture. All right, so I have known Lolly for like... I think eight years, maybe longer. I'm not sure. They did a scholarship program at my dance studio. I believe they were the year after me. Um, I did. I graduated from that in 2014, so it was shortly after that that I met them. 
Um, we have done so many dance projects together. Um, I've just worked very closely with them for so long. And I was kind of in the shadows about my spirituality for a little while. I really kind of, it, my life was very separate between dance and spirituality in 2020. I just kind of completely broke that. But shortly before that, um, I want to say maybe 2019 or something like that, we finally, or I started opening up more about my practice, as did they. And as time has gone on, we've really become a lot deeper um, in our friendship. Does that make sense? We've got, our friendship has deepened significantly. Um, I love Lolly so much. I feel like they're one of those people that you can just kind of, I don't know, there's just freedom to be you and they just meet you wherever you are and uh, it's just such a good friendship and I love them dearly and I just, I just, I'm just so excited to share you, share them with you. So here we go. Hello friend. Hello friend. <laughs> Thanks I'm for being here. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Me too. All right. What would you like to chat about? Um, well, I'm excited to see where your questions take us. I listened to your last, the most recent release with a friend. Um, and I think whatever question you begin with will take us wherever we're meant to go. So cool. I love the little plant behind you. I just oh, saw it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Let's just jump into the idea of binary, non-binary. Great. Let's just go for it. <laughs> uh, where, do, is there a specific question or just a general topic? No, just a topic. Great. Um, well, I am non-binary. And I, as I said, did listen to your, this is a great plug for like your episode with Rashad. <laughs> go listen to that <laughs> Um. There was a while where you and Rashad were sort of like pontificating on duality, binariness, all of that. And one of the things that you talk about is like a sort of frustration with labels or a like you are constantly redefining and uh, correct, like correct me if I'm wrong, but find labels sort of limiting inherently, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I feel the same way. One of my favorite mentors, her name is Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen. I say that as if we've met, we haven't, I've just continued <laughs> their work and been, uh, and have engaged with people who've trained under her, but I have done like zoom courses with her. She is 83 years old and she is amazing. Um, and she is, I don't even really know how to define her, but how to define her, but she is a, um, like a master of somatics in many ways. Um, and she talks about how words are always an approximation. They're never the experience. And in coming out as non-binary, that was a really necessary part uh, to come to peace with for myself was understanding that this new label doesn't approximate who I am effectively either, but it's a closer approximation mm. that opens up a deeper exploration. And one clear moment for me 
was when I was clear to myself that I was non-binary, but I was figuring out what that meant in the context of the world. And part of it was this, because it's like, you feel like you're just stepping into a new box, a new container, and now you're going to have conversations around that new label. So I was clear to myself and I was sort of giving myself time to orient in the world and figure out what I wanted to say or do or be. Um, and I went to an event that had a lot of gendered expectations with historical and cultural relevance. And it was a lovely experience. And my identity was assumed to fall into one part of this cultural binary system. And I realized that if I don't name myself something different, then the assumption is I fit into the cultural norm. Mm -hmm. And that was like a really clear moment of, okay, non-binariness by nature isn't a third category. It doesn't now become like a triad that fits together nicely. It's like inherently it's just non-binary, which is mm -hmm. a multitude of things. Um, and Alok has a book. Alok is a poet and writer and activist, an amazing non-binary human who has a book called Beyond the Binary, which also was really helpful in my coming out process. Um, I was watching an interview with Alok recently where um, someone was expressing the anxiety they feel around pronouns and how they've read Alok's book, they understand their pronouns, but they still are nervous and then did make a mistake and apologized and was sort of unpacking it with Alok. And Alok made the statement that it's not you who said it, it's all the people who came before you who have like built up this system and understanding of gender, right? So to me, uh, I was also thinking about what you said in your episode with Rashad about how when we get comfortable, we stop exploring. Um, and I think for people who don't comfortably land in the gender binary, most of us have been uncomfortable our whole life. And it's why I started exploring it in the first place because I never felt comfortable. Um, and so the going beyond the binary doesn't necessarily mean that it's not also possible to be on some spectrum of the binary, to be fully embodied as woman, to be fully embodied as man, but to just open up the conversation of exploring self in a much more broad way. Um, it's like breaking down those boundaries. There's yeah. more fluidity um, in terms of who you are. I think it's interesting because growing up, I had a very, like my dad is very feminine. He's very emotional very motherly in a way and my mom is very masculine where she was the one working she's not very emotional in the same regard you know it's um she's a lot more hard and dominant 
whereas my dad is a lot more soft and submissive. And I feel like growing up with that naturally made me curious about like nowadays there's there's a redefining of gender norms where there are like stay-at-home dads and like the you know but I feel like my parents were like that before that was like very much spoken about Mm -hmm. and so I think seeing that it gave me the freedom to just kind of figure out well girls do this if I don't want to I don't have to Mm -hmm. like I don't have to like pink and fluffy things Mm -hmm. but then as I got older I feel like I went the opposite way and it's like I can still like it and I can still feel comfortable in myself I'm just like processing something right now that I never thought of but I feel like I had a very specific um sense of identity as a kid where it was more like I was a tomboy I liked boy things I wanted to be successful in some sort of realm that men are most dominant in like science or something I wanted to be an astrophysicist I wanted to be the first girl to blow up you know I wanted to be the fastest and like beat all the boys it was very focused on that and then in middle school after dealing with the aftermath of my sexual abuse and my parents divorce I started leaning into femininity a lot and I also almost felt completely detached from myself. And I feel like since then I've been like trying to find a balance between my masculinity and femininity. And I feel like I'm finally starting to explore that or I'm finally finding that balance now. Um, But it's, I spoke about this in, I don't remember. There's a conversation that is to come either with Michael or Pipo that I had, but um, I was talking about how, like, it's interesting how, like, we need labels to understand something. We need those boundaries. We need to have it laid out. But then I feel like once everything's laid out and defined, we almost need to detach from that to be able to then finally find what parts of those make us up you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying yeah yeah um for me this is where metaphor comes in and like art can be so powerful because if a word is just an approximation that label is necessary to have a conversation but it's not as accurate as it could be sometimes I feel that metaphor or story. This is why like myths are so powerful in culture. Stories are so powerful because um, to say that, you know, we feel pain, but to say that there's like a fire inside my shoulder is different. Right. And we know there's not a literal fire, but like, that's a better approximation than just like, it's always really hard when, when you have to describe a sensation and you don't know how someone else has experienced it, or they may use different words, but the more metaphors and similes you can use to describe it, the clearer the picture mm-hmm. becomes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, even just as you were talking, it's there's such a, uh, there's so much momentum to binary dichotomized ways of thinking that oftentimes people will assume that non-binaryness is some middle ground between masculine and feminine 
energy. And it has to be brought up that it's existing outside of that duality spectrum on some levels and for some people. So um, I've talked to other people who are non-binary about this, like in early parts of my exploration of gender, I realized that I was leaning because I'm still femme, especially aesthetically in a lot of ways. Um, but I found that I was leaning into my femininity, especially aesthetically, as a way to erase my masculinity. Mm-hmm. I was for a long time so uncomfortable in societal norms of gender and knowing that I was assigned female at birth and felt that I had all of this, these masculine traits, like growing up in a small town and doing things on a farm and like being in the dirt and like raising pigs and picking rock in a field and like all that stuff like creates a certain level of like uh, masculine feeling experiences that then when I moved to Los Angeles, I felt like any masculine expressions were like outing me and I needed to just cover them up with more femininity. And then ultimately it was like arriving at like the far end of that spectrum and realizing I was still super uncomfortable. And then one day it was, it's so funny because I, with my clothing brand, I had shirts that said the future is non-binary, like five years before I came out as non-binary. Like I knew before I knew, but there was one particular moment where I was like, well, what if I am non-binary and like every cell of my body felt like it exhaled. And I was like, oh, (laughs) because now things aren't relational in a dichotomous way. My masculinity isn't like, you know what I mean? It's not like tipping towards one or the, they can both like exist. There's a, there's a level of like yin and yangness to masculine and feminine energy, but like it can mix and it can blend Mm -hmm. and it can like balance can sometimes look like 80% masculine and 20% feminine. And it doesn't always have to be like 50-50. Right. As you were talking, I had a thought. Um, And I'm not sure. I'm just going to let it out. But what's interesting is I feel like for some reason, oh, (laughs) (laughs) so I was thinking about the significance of how I started to really lean into femininity following traumatic events Mm. like during Mm. middle school and high school and then once I moved out when I was 17 I kind of started falling or falling back into my masculinity and like tomboyness and then um there was a lot of change that just happened in the past like year and a half you know which then I started to like embrace my femininity again and I feel like I was trying to distinguish between whether like when I was young if that was a result of like you're a young girl that was just sexually abused so it's like being forcefully like you are a woman this Mm -hmm. is what women do you are soft and small and dainty and you've just been (laughs) like violently assaulted or something and so then subconsciously I try to start like healing by mirroring that. Cause I know I had uh growing up, I did have a survival mechanism or a trauma response where I would mirror 
what other people were trying were like viewing me as so that I would not be abandoned essentially Mm -hmm. like I wanted to meet their expectations so I was thinking I wonder if subconsciously that was a result of that but then as I was thinking about this past year and just all this change going on I feel like for whatever reason whenever there's a lot of change I think I fall into my femininity more because that is the energy of creation Mm -hmm. and then as I like once I have created and then I'm in action I tend to fall more into like Mm. the tomboy of like playing and doing and like you know what I'm saying that more masculine Mm. thing it's interesting how it how like malleable it is and I feel like giving yourself the freedom to explore how you express yourself and like literally Mm -hmm. have fun with it yeah and just kind of go with your body seasons and with the state of life you're in you know Mm -hmm. it's so freeing not feeling limited by like just society yeah yeah I think that it does ebb and flow and that's why I was saying like the concept of equilibrium isn't always established by like 50 50 it's like there's seasons and there's like fluidity and movement and um all of that for sure. Uh, There was something I was going to say, oh, about like trauma. Um, And it's like intersecting points with gender or uh, concepts of masculine and feminine energy. Something that I recently have had profound healing with is making food. And I hadn't I I knew it's it's one of those things where I knew it intellectually but I couldn't quite like crack the code of like how it was living in my body in an embodied sense and I finally got there um when (laughs) I started dating my partner I was like I don't cook I don't do it it's not going to be me like if you want that I'm not the one um I was just like very upfront (laughs) like I I don't like it. I don't like being in the kitchen. I used to have this feeling um, like it's so visceral when I would be like chopping an onion or any food, I would feel like I was being chased. Like I I needed it to be over immediately. Like I was having such a trauma response to just the act of like what felt like tedious things. Um, I just want, I literally, my heart would race. Like, I just feel so uncomfortable. Um, and I recently started reading the book, The Kitchen Healer, and the author's story feels very uh, in some sort of parallel to mine. Um, and she is talking about mothers. And Part of also my healing journey with gender has been, for one, it was deeply, it was a deep relief realizing like, there's no way I'm the first non-binary person. (laughs) Like there was this feeling for a long time of like, well, because all the grandmothers and grandfathers I know were all within the gender binary, but like they also were living in a society that had like very little room for anything else so connecting with my grandmothers has been something I've been doing in the last couple of years um but I realized that I was running from the kitchen because of the trauma that happened in the kitchen of women who came before me um 
and whether they experienced it as trauma, like I won't say for them, but I know that there was an expectation of what they were required to do as a woman. And that would come up for me to the point where like, I just didn't want to be a part of it. Um, and so I would sort of shut off to the possibility. I was just totally, in, it, it's a great example of like being in a trauma response and that trauma response limiting possible outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. I, people would talk about food as creativity and I would be like, great, I get it. I love art and I believe you and I support you. <laughs> like I can't get there. Um, and running from that trauma didn't do anything to heal it as it is with most trauma, like running from it you know, at a certain time in your life, you may need to like separate yourself from triggers in order to have breathing room to heal. But eventually like avoiding that trigger doesn't help you overcome it. So I'm now literally like excited about cutting blood oranges and putting rosemary in my water and like being present to it and have an actual embodied felt sense of how to cook with food or with food, cook with food um, and cook with love. Like I am a Reiki practitioner and I understand energy, but I had this disconnect that I now I'm like, oh, this is literally like, this is a thing. Like the energy you put into the food matters or makes a difference. Yeah. People and I talked about this. I love how these are all combining. (laughs) I love it. It's like different perspectives of similar things. And I didn't even bring up food. Yeah. (laughs) Eat it. It's like everybody's, I love it. Um, Energy. Yeah. Um, I had a thought and I just forgot. Oh yeah. This is making me think like, it's so interesting how now that our, like with technology, technological advancements nowadays, this way that communities operate now is vastly different than how they did like hundreds of years ago because hundreds of years ago you would literally need everybody like everybody has a job you all have to be on the same page because survival is at stake and we all need to like be in this together mm-hmm. and with technology now a lot of those like basic needs or those uh like the processes are already done for us like you just go to the market and grab some food you don't have to like go out and you know what i'm saying um And so I almost feel like because people no longer have very strict like jobs in a community, we have so much more freedom naturally to explore and like question where, how do I want to show up Mm -hmm. in this community? And I feel like in a way that's naturally bringing about this sense of like collective consciousness or a connection to that, because then we are almost able to like flow with each other and respond to how somebody's presenting themselves like oh you've got this cool let me fit over here and mm-hmm. I'll do that and we can complement that and I'm wondering if that's also part of or perhaps fueling the collective awakening that's kind of happening right now you know because we're mm-hmm. all naturally tuning like this is taking us to a place of tuning into oneness in a way because mm-hmm. we're more like intuitively aware of other people yeah I think um it reminds me of conversations I've had um, about like there's this there's this societal idea that like there's that 50 50 thing like the heteronormative lens of um, 
man and woman make up 50% come together, create this like balance union and like one's bringing masculine energy, one's bringing feminine energy. But um, if you, it's sort of that metaphor idea, like you were saying, you need the words, but then you almost have to step outside of the words. In my coaching practice, I call, or I talk about this as dismantling your structure of knowing. We all have these structures of knowing that inform how we are seeing the world. This came up with your conversation with Rashada as well. Like, is this really happening or is this just like how we framed it? So this is how we're experiencing it. Um, Bonnie, the person I talked about earlier, talks about this as like the map versus the experience. Um, if, it, if we're talking about anatomy, there's the map of the bones and we can intellectually see them on paper as a certain way, but the way we experience live bones is different than any approximation of a map that we can say with words, illustrations, even cadavers, like cadavers are not living beings. The only real experience is the experience. Um, so um, if there's this idea that, um, like take the idea of, I don't wanna say like marriage, but just like partnerships, right? Like whether you're, however you identify how, if you're poly, if you're this, if you're that, like um, if you are seeking some level of grouping of synergy to move forward in your life where you are in a committed either group or partnership or whatever, then what if there's not a set, a preset engagement of like, well, I'm, my masculinity is this and my femininity is this, or I'm good at cooking and you're good at like, there's actually an energetic exchange that happens in real time as people evolve. That's always sort of like you're saying, like responding and changing. And I think that like, that's one of the biggest like issues I have <laughs> with how I've seen marriage play out uh, is that there's this idea sometimes that you're supposed to stay who you were when you got married. And I think mm -hmm. that both people can end up feeling really confined in that um, because there's not a lot of like, there's not a lot of modeling or like conversations about what it looks like to evolve and continue loving that person as they're evolving or, you know, being non-attached yeah. to, I think people find security in what they know. And so both people are like, just stay how I know you. <laughs> yeah. And I you feel know? like that's even shown in like movies and stuff like that as well, where like somebody changes and they're like, you're not who I yeah. was when I married you. And I think talking about this, it's giving me a lot of clarity because I've had such a weird relationship with the concept of marriage for so long. Like, I don't know. It just like, there are times where it just like grosses me out really hardcore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there are times where it's like, oh, that's nice. And I think what, what makes me not like it is it just feels so stale. Like the concept of relationships or marriage, especially just feels so outdated. And I passionately hate labels. <laughs> I mm -hmm. hate them so hard. <laughs> so I don't like, like even the process of marriage, like like rich the ritual of it I just mm -hmm. hate that so badly um and that's interesting for me I don't think I think 
I think the issue I have is not so much of the concept of it itself, but rather viewing it as like, these are roles that you have to fill. Mm -hmm. This is a man. This is whoever else that that man is marrying. This is what you do as a married couple. And it just feels like it goes from this like magical relationship to just like this like weird (laughs) thing. Mm -hmm. And it just feels so gross. Um, And I, yeah, I think part of that just has to do with labels for me. Yeah, I um, am with someone that I love very, very much exclusively with that person. And I'm not, it's like, I don't want marriage if it is (laughs) that stale version, right? But if it's something that is like redefined for us on our own terms, um, which again, is I think another example of it's like, you start with with like familiar words and structures and then ultimately like redefine however um and again I think that like that these are the conversations that come up in non-binary transgender identities it it starts to open up a conversation about what all of these structures that we've become familiar with mean energetically beyond just like the the approximated distilled down like roles and like oversimplified meanings who are the people in in it and like all their their complexities mm-hmm. in it this is making me think about how with people that are part of the LGBTQ community, there's a lot more conversation about things that maybe that are taboo to the whole society. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because there's already, there's freedom to reinvent yourself because you're already kind of feeling like an outsider. You're already separating from common vocabulary. You know? For sure. Um, again, I just watched this long clip with Alok um, yesterday, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, but they were offering this perspective, um, and I, I can't. Alok is so articulate and well spoken that I feel even silly trying to restate it. But energetically and conceptually, I really aligned with what they were saying this idea um, that kind of what you're talking about, when you have the courage to choose to love yourself, even when that means your life is going to be harder because it's contrary to the systems that are set in place, um, then you do already sort of have this base level of like, yeah, well, and if I have this kink or I like this thing or I'm into this spiritual thing, then who cares? Like it's, I'm already, I already know what it feels like to choose myself, to choose courage, to be brave enough to say who I am. Um, And it's not even just like in the LGBTQIA plus and that community and not it's like even within that community um people sometimes have to choose to be courageous enough to say their truth even if it's counter to what's the norm within that community 
Yeah. Even this conversation feels so vulnerable to me because I haven't like forced myself or, or been courageous in this capacity yet to start talking about my thoughts and feelings on these things because we're living in this period of time where there's so much cultural more momentum towards like these waves of like this is right this is wrong you're either on this side you're on that side and it can it's it can be really scary to just be like well this is how I'm feeling right now and that's the other thing that I gave myself permission for in my gender exploration was realizing that there is no end point like you said when you get comfortable you stop exploring and um there's never been like a point where I'm just like settled in comfort about it's like it's an ongoing exploration um there's something called I think it's called the gender workbook that a friend bought for me and the author has had um a very um like expansive exploration of gender in their life and they're I think accepting that there is no arrival and maybe a year from now I play back this podcast and be like oh I don't agree with myself right but I don't have to like this is a moment in time and this is me unpacking it now you know it's so it's so strange to me that the idea of like self-exploration can be such a like I don't know just this like big explosion in society Mm-hmm. like even like these concepts of like exploring kinks or exploring things exploring you exploring your sexuality exploring how you present yourself like like we are this is my body <laughs> this is my mind yeah and it's weird how like exploring that can be such can cause such a commotion <laughs> it's, it's such a taboo there's a there's a book that I started reading and it's funny because like one concept in it I felt like was going to come up today because the book is like sitting on my desk. It's an Alan Watts book. It may just be called the book, but like um, he starts off by saying that in he he shares how in certain cultures there's like a secret book that's given to people when they're in puberty or coming of age or whatever and whether there are there are like actual examples he's talking about but just even as 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 like story right there's like this idea that um elders could slide a pillow under your pillowcase one night with these like taboo things that like society's not going to talk about but you need this information and so he writes this book as his like taboo book and it's um it's like um, the taboo of knowing who you are. Like it is radical. <laughs> so so <laughs> I think that kind of makes sense though. Again, I feel like that's an outdated concept because going back to hundreds of years ago where we have communities that have specific, that need a specific structure in order to survive, like okay, I can understand why they felt that was the most efficient way to accomplish something. But again, nowadays, there's, I feel like a lot of our thoughts are so outdated Mm -hmm. compared to like the technological advancements. Like our psychology has not been able to keep up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's fear 
I was just going to say that. And I was actually going to say, well, maybe it has, because there's so much generational trauma being healed right now. And so many people nowadays that are really starting to like fight against that fear. So Mm -hmm. perhaps this is, there is actually a breakthrough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is silly, but just, I saw a meme or something talking about how people, millennials are like redecorating in the aesthetic of their childhood bedroom or they're decorating for their childhood, the, like the, the childhood bedroom they dreamt about, they're now decorating with. And if I think about like my mom's generation, like they were not decorating for their childhood dreams. They were decorating towards this like cultural aesthetic of what this like nuclear family that was successful looked like, you know, but I think that we are a lot more in touch with healing our inner child and healing generational trauma for sure. Um, Something that's like not really related, but uh, there was like a reason why I wanted to bring it up with you and I'm sure it will unfold. Um, I think it kind of has to do with um, just how words shape our understanding. So Um, Alan Watts in this book I mentioned talks about, um, how we've categorized our senses into five senses, which has always felt weird and wrong to me, right? Like there's all these other ways that we sense information, but you in school have to like do the worksheets and like draw the thing. And there's like the five senses. Um, and in high school and like early parts of college, I was really obsessed with learning about different animals and the way that they sensed information. Um, and I w- and then I traveled to South Africa and was able to spend time observing animals and the way in which there are these like energetic systems that are always like flowing and rebalancing and collaborating and like elephants can talk through the ground from miles apart and an African dog can tell whose heart is the weakest in the room and attack you. Um, (laughs) You know, like uh, because our hearts give off electromagnetic fields, which um, I've talked about in my like mindfulness trainings, like our nervous systems are co-regulating through these electrical fields. So that information exists. Um, but a lot of times our society has a hard time accepting information that isn't perceived through one of the five senses because you can't see, smell, touch, whatever, whatever, the electromagnetic field of our hearts. But that doesn't mean our nervous systems aren't taking in the input. Um, so Alan Watts talks about this idea that like, what if everything is touch? It's just, it's like we're touching sound, we're touching light you know, and I think that that is like another example of how reshaping language can make conversations around clairsentience, clairvoyance, all these different clairs, like easier to comprehend because you're not in contradiction to the understanding of five senses. You've dismantled that way of thinking. Yeah. Which I feel like goes into the, all the other ideas that we've spoken about of how like words or whatever set the structure but you have to graduate past that. That's just like mm-hmm. elementary knowledge, literally, yeah. you know? And I feel like we're starting to 
expand past that because I feel like um even the concept of synesthesia Mm -hmm. you know how it's like I don't know research has shown that just a very small percentage of society uh experiences that but I feel like that's literally what you do when you tap into your intuition Mm -hmm. like you start receiving colors images textures in very different ways you know because you're cross-referencing in intersecting information in real time rather than keeping it in separate silos because I think the way that we're taught what does it smell like what does it feel like what does it taste like and those are separate bits of information but if you if it's all touch how does this thing feel when I touch it with all of my sensory capacities um, I feel like that relates to synesthesia and for sure it's like yeah when you start just being open to the information it doesn't come in in the categories that we've constructed with words (laughs) yeah you know yeah yeah again because I feel like that's just such a small little percentage of existence anyways it's just a way of like trying to deliver a message Mm-hmm. tempting to paint a specific picture of experience but there is more to experience than that yeah like it's just a tool rather than the truth yeah um something I would be curious to explore with you which would be very vulnerable because we've never done it and it's in real time and on the podcast um I was observing the conversation, which this is just the only episode that's out so far uh, of these interviews. But with Rashad, I was I was sort of able to, I was listening to it, not watching it, and able to kind of observe. I mean, with you two, it's like a very specific, specific, particular thing, right? But like the energy between and among and around the two of you and like how your own life's paths are intersecting each other's and what um, particular gifts or skill sets one of you leans on the other one for and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm sort of curious to unpack, and this is where before we started the call, I was like, I'm excited to talk about things we've never talked about because I feel like we know each other from a particular container of being dancers together. And then it was actually after a rehearsal one night where it was like, oh, you do Reiki, you do Reiki. And then it's mm. kind of like, there's this entire landscape of our identities that like, I feel like we didn't know about each other. And I still feel like at times, at least from my brain, there's still sort of been, like, I feel like there needs to be like a dismantling moment and almost like a re-meeting. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Let's do um, it. So I guess I want to ask you like, uh, how, (laughs) how do you conceptualize me or why do you think that like our paths have crossed in the ways that they have? Cause there's this really interesting intersecting point between our dancer identities and our spiritual identities, Mm -hmm. um, which I think we're in the act of like beginning to explore further, um, because they're no longer separate, right? I think um, in the, the the dance project we're engaging on now, I think maybe in the past, um, it might be easier to put into a silo. Okay, like we're rehearsing, we're choreographing, and then we have these like spiritual lives separate, but it feels like we've both been um, 
having these like our expansion is leading to a sense of wholeness where like you don't leave parts of yourself at the door mm-hmm. um does that make sense mm-hmm. so how are you conceptualizing <laughs> this <laughs> that's a very head? interesting question and I feel like for some reason in especially as we've grown closer and I kind of feel this way with Ava as well. I'm doing an, an interview with Ava on Monday. Amazing. <laughs> I talked to Ava this week. I told her um, that her branding is incredible. How she like floats out, floats in. I was like, you're very <laughs> like in demand in my mind. We've <laughs> <laughs> uh, done a very good job of that because <laughs> it's always like in seasons. Yeah. Talk to her. <laughs> um, but I feel like what's interesting with both of you for some reason is I feel like such a deep soul connection and I don't fully understand it like Mm -hmm. like in this physical I feel like when we dance together our movements are very similar yeah we have very different backgrounds we just have we're just very different even in the way we express ourselves like we're just very Mm -hmm. different it's almost like the soul of it is very similar. It's almost like if you have a plant, there are leaves and there are flowers and they all come from the same plant, but they're drastic, drastically different, different mm-hmm. shapes, different colors. Like, you know, the purpose is different. And I feel like with us, the essence of who we are and are like how we naturally um, navigate the world is very similar but the expression of it mm-hmm. I just lost my thought but did I did that make sense yeah oh. it was causing me to think about that idea like we've been saying there are these familiar I feel like there's not a lot of conversations about platonic soul connection like people know about twin flames or soulmates um, and I think if people start talking about connecting on a soul level it's like immediately assumed it's romantic or there's just like not a lot of conversation about it but as you were describing like the flower and the leaf it's such a great example of how (laughs) the leaf isn't the binary opposite of the flower they just both exist on you know what I mean like and influence each other yeah definitely I think you know what's interesting too I feel like I've been meeting a lot of people lately that feel like they're part of my soul family, mm-hmm. you know, but that's a very specific energy. Whereas with you, it doesn't, it almost feels like our souls come from a similar place, but there's like exploration or like, like there's, there's some sort of like creative magic mm-hmm. that is allowing us to like burst into some other new bubble. It doesn't feel like a typical it's like its own special kind of soul relationship. Mm -hmm. Because I think uh, for me, one of the turning points in our relationship was like in my dance class with that one combination, which we have filmed on the beach, which will be coming out soon because my phone is fixed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But I was dancing with you and then it was watching the video later and I was like, how is this happening exactly? Like, 
because I'm always trying to articulate the values and these values are not good or bad. They're just the values that I'm interested in exploring in movement. The qualities I'm interested in exploring in choreography don't necessarily align with the values that society at large has placed on dance. I should write that down because that's like how I feel. <laughs> like I am interested in exploring certain things and that's a very normal thing in the modern dance community, which I was trained in for my undergrad. Like choreographers are known for like what they're interested in exploring. And it's not based on commercial value. It's based on, you know, artistry. Um, and when I saw the video of you and I dancing together in that one particular piece, I was like, okay, we're not, you're not mimicking me, but I feel like you were, you've engaged in the conversation with me on an energetic level. And part of that conversation that I'm interested in is like, it's not with me, it's between us right and so I think that like as we've been choreographing together and even just like in the first rehearsal we had where we we did this exercise where we were improvising together and there's a vulnerability in exploring that without words and I think that that's what we're sort of like at the it's not even like the cusp of anything it's just like we're in the beginning stages of this this thing that like our relationship being <laughs> explored not through words uh but yeah. through through movement and through energy and what I kind of love about our dynamic is I feel like usually when you spend a lot of time with somebody your mannerisms start to become the same like the way of expressing mm -hmm. yourself becomes very similar and I feel like with us there's like it's not like we're still yeah. very much eat our like ourselves and we mm -hmm. have our like weird quirks or whatever but there's this like base language that we both speak mm -hmm. which is so cool you know yeah. I think something I'm growing into even just in like doing this this podcast with you is kind of getting and it's it's funny you're like isn't it so silly that like self you know exploration is radical and like we talked about fear. You've been talking a lot about like just facing your fears head on. And I think something that I've realized has been a fear of mine. And I never thought about it in this exact way, but is like, <laughs> when I know that words are not the best way for me to express myself, then sometimes I'll hold back from engaging in words with someone that I'm like sensing a connection with because I'm like well like for with you for example when we first started talking about Reiki I was like well what if like Amber's trained in a different kind or she's going to judge the kind I got certified in or I'm going to share this belief or experience and then your spiritual experience is going to be different and you're going to be like okay no you know like um does that make sense? And so now it's sort of like I'm stepping into this new space of like have like having my own back and then giving myself permission to like, okay, if if there's a if if that happens, then we continue to talk through it. Or if 
there's a miscommunication happening, then we like find better words or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just can't live in, I think I was sensing this um, in the conversation with Rashad as well, like this, um, like, will people believe me? And, and, and you're like, well, if they don't, then it was a great story. And if they do, then cool. You know, I think yeah. um, we are as a collective shifting into a more spiritual era and there's this um like marketing coach that I have been vibing with lately because I'm I'm trying to I don't like the concept of marketing like I'm turned off by it so I'm focusing now on the concept of visibility um what it means to be seen um and this coach talks about like just like giving yourself permission to assume that people want to listen because the people that do will find you and it's been really cool to see that happen with your podcast like I feel like it was a it was a late that layer of you that I didn't know existed um and then it was just like oh this podcast is happening and there's all these people you know what I mean like people that are vibing which is really cool to see yeah this has been <clears throat> especially lately I feel like I've been giving myself permission to just really follow whatever makes me happy right now. And there are a lot of times where I'll like put an episode out or like put a reel out or I don't know, just something stupid, some sort of content. Mm -hmm. And in my head, it's like, nobody gives a fuck. Like who the, who are you? You are nobody. Mm -hmm. Like nobody <laughs> cares. <laughs> yeah. But then I get all of these messages are like, oh, wow. Like I really love blah, blah, blah. And I think it's, it's really shown me how much we talk ourselves off the ledge you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting, because I feel like when people are really self aware, they're very self critical, yeah. which is good to an extent, but it's like the people that tend to, like, really succeed in terms of like, visibility and stuff. A lot of times they're people that are very unself aware. So they don't like limit themselves, mm -hmm. because they don't understand that so they're just like, stumbling through yeah. and it's a hot mess. But it's because they're just like, they believe that they're hot shit. So then other people kind of take that. So I've been trying to find a balance between just kind of like, eh, screw it, just put it out there, whatever. If something's funky, then I can course correct and be like, okay, next time I do this, I can do this part better. But just let it out, you know? Mm -hmm. There's a quote I read a long time ago that was like, with art, don't tell yourself it's bad, like let other people tell you or like let like put it out there. Don't mm -hmm. withhold stuff for fear of XYZ. Like put it out there and let it be received however it needs to be mm -hmm. received. Don't like make that decision for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's that idea uh just in the conversation of marketing as well, where it's like if you're judging your product or you're judging whatever it is that you're trying to put out you're actually taking away agency from your audience because you're deciding for them, you know? And that's been something that I've been thinking about a lot because I currently thrive in one-on-one -on -one settings, one-on-one -on -one coaching um, and have these like profound moments of growth and transformation in a co-creative process with my clients. Um, 
but have struggled to figure out like how that translates to just like a post on social media or a podcast to an audience. I don't know who it is, you know, um, I'll try to like pre-calculate the value for like whoever might listen. And it's just like, it can't, you can't. I think one you know. issue too, that comes from just being from a dance background is we strive for <laughs> we strive for perfection a Mm -hmm. lot and that's definitely something that had held me back for a long time like I took a really long hiatus from my podcast because it's like I don't have time I put so much time and effort into each episode I don't want to just like word vomit and then it be like this like half-assed thing Mm -hmm. um I don't have time to like put all my heart and soul into it so I'm just not gonna do it Mm -hmm. and I think lately I've really been seeing the benefit in consistency over perfection we're just Mm -hmm. like lately I've been doing like conversations now I am word vomiting and stuff like that because it's like I still can create like very full mindfully crafted episodes when I want to, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of other things to be said. And I don't need to wait for that. Like, just say it, just say it. Who cares if you stumble? Okay, great. You've practiced. And now next time you can do better or it'll bring up new ideas or whatever. But I think having a constant exchange is more important than like obsessing about how you're being perceived all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think also with prioritizing consistency, over that perfectionism has also given me a lot more freedom to just be like, eh, screw it. I don't care. Like I'm putting my heart out and it can mm-hmm. be received however, <laughs> but at least I'm here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Something that, um, really like shifted my perspective on this recently was, uh, I was listening to a podcast about memory, um, and how like there used to be this school of thought that memories are sort of like like a file cabinet. You're like revisiting a memory, right? Um, but now, according to this podcast, the world of neuroscience it has like shifted its ways of like talking about memory um, and acknowledging that memory, like the act of recalling is always a creative act there's always some level of our brain guessing certain Mm -hmm. details because we can't recreate the experience exactly. Um, And so when you, I always have this thing where I'm like, I'm kind of like you, how you were saying, like when I'm in an immense period of growth, I kind of like hibernate and I'm similar where like, if I look at like my history on social media, it's like, I'll see other people and I'm like, oh, they go in seasons. They're like, I'm all about social media. And then they disappear. And in my mind, I'm not one of those people. And historically I totally am because I go <laughs> into a period of growth and I'm like, okay, let me like figure it all out. And then I'll reemerge. And then I'll like share my perspective, but your perspective is always different. Like six months later than in real time. And when you just start sharing in real time, you are actually helping the people who are in a very similar real time with you. And like the energetic charge of your growth and transformation is that much more resonant with Mm -hmm. theirs, right? Like someone who is at this level of success and someone who's just getting started, it's like this person might be able to help them 
but like they're so far removed from what it feels like to be at step one you know yeah Um, yeah I agree and I feel like I've really enjoyed um like having more word vomity episodes that like I went on a walk a couple weeks ago and then I came back and I had like I was processing a shift and then it's like well let me talk through this mm -hmm. processing because I feel like that part is so vulnerable and so human you Mm -hmm. know that I don't feel like we really get access to seeing that from people like we hear Mm -hmm. the stories of like oh I went through this and this and it was terrible then all of a sudden there was a breakthrough but it's like yeah but what was that like like how Mm -hmm. how did you reshift your mind or you know what I'm saying and I feel like I feel like honoring the fact that we are human that we make mistakes that we change that we grow that you know like we just are and there's nothing Mm -hmm. to be ashamed of about that Mm -hmm. because we all go through that like we're here to learn we're here to make mistakes and grow from them and like experience weird things you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think um like my understanding of social media has shifted. Uh, And there's a a TikTok I was watching and I would love to credit the person because it was a really interesting perspective. Um, I just don't know what they're, I don't know how to credit them right now, but they were offering this sort of like critical perspective and they study sociology on uh, like, the cusp of millennial and Gen Z people and millennials stereotypically have this like crippling perfectionism. Um, And I have experienced that with my social media. And part of what, like you were saying with the connection to dance has, has shaped my crippling perfectionism is this, this sense of like, okay, I understand. I felt like everything I created that was a product or an event I was confident in exceeding or exceeding, excelling at. Um, I did a runway show and it was like, I was super proud of it. It was super well-received. It has so much charge around it. I've created clothes and there's still friends who are wearing those clothes like so often or I'll show up somewhere and they're wearing it. It's like, I have been able to create things that like have a cultural impact, which is something I've realized is really important to me. I want to have a like artistic cultural relevancy and impact. And it's not that I haven't been able to to do that. I've been able to do that. But in situations where there is essentially a ideation process, a creation process, a rehearsal process, and then a recital, and then an ending, right? There's like, there's this like series of events that mimics like a dance performance where it's like, you create this work, you live in it, you practice it, you share it, it's received. And then like a chapter closes. And social media to me has always, because at first there was like, there, and this is what the person on TikTok was talking about. Like there was a period of Instagram where it was like a highlight reel. It was like an aesthetic curation space. It was not a space for connection. It was like, look what I can do. Look what I can create and package and whatever. Um, and so, especially with TikTok, like I couldn't wrap my head around TikTok and friends would be like, it's much more like community. It's much more real. Like people just show up. It's like you and your best friend in the car talking. And I'm like, what? And I would feel like it was like a train going 40 miles an hour that I was somehow supposed to like jump on but I never understood like when to jump on it. 
like, when do I start? At what point am I going to feel like I have it all figured out so that I can just like start sharing? Um, because my, also like my storytelling narrative brain is like, <laughs> how do I just start now? Because I'm trying to picture that, that older version of Instagram where it's like, there's this clear picture of who someone is through their account. And it, and when I started to dismantle those structures of knowing and realize like, no, these platforms are places where you can build community and meet people. And when I meet new people, and that's the thing about me is like, I don't have social anxiety in person. I had, I mostly have just had it online. So if I meet someone new in person, I don't feel the need to like hand them a booklet with like my history and be like, okay, so here's what happened. Here's what led to this. Like, let's catch up. Here's where I'm headed. It's just like, you're just connecting where you are now and then you move forward. And so that's now how I'm like conceptualizing my social media presence is just like more like what you're talking. Let me just like share this thought or show up now. I'm wondering if perhaps that is also related to dance. So the program that I'm getting my degree from is for professional dancers. So in um, all of our things are online. Um, And it's interesting because like we're all professional dancers. We can all get on a stage and dance in front of thousands of people. No problem, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? But when it comes to speaking, like this like there are so many times where people are like like they're just like I don't know why but I'm feeling really anxious like every time it's about my turn to come talk like I start like shaking and everybody's Mm -hmm. like oh yeah me too and it's so bizarre and I'm wondering this would be an interesting thing to talk about to like people that aren't dancers but I know for us it's like we're so hyper aware of what we look like how we're presenting ourselves and we're Mm -hmm. used to expressing ourselves through movement and through like angles that suit Mm -hmm. us rather than like speaking and because it's here I think there's such an emphasis on like if you record dance like that's living there so you want to keep recording it until you get the perfect product Mm -hmm. and like with this it's so raw and you're like communicating in a way that you don't necessarily are used to and you know yeah um in I also got my degree in dance and it was not online it was in person but there was one class that the title of the class is theorizing dancing bodies um which was like a deep examination into performativity really and this is another thing I could go off on or deep into because part of my part of my discomfort with my experience of gender up until the last couple of years um, has been that my experience of gender has always been performance. People perform their gender even when they're cis gender and fit, like they're, especially when, right? Like all these like choices and mannerisms and things that indicate I'm cis hetero I'm this it's all performance um I fucking love this topic I took a dance in performance class that was all it was like performance studies 
mm-hmm. and like exploring that concept and how like everything is literally a performance everything. I love this com- I love this topic like I would go down rabbit hole <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I think that you're right um and but it's helped me like kind of uh, dismantle it a little bit further when you reflected back okay maybe this has to do with dance because um like I think a lot of being a great like performer everyone's a performer but like in the professional sense is understanding context understanding environment so the way you perform on stage is different than how you perform for camera um and different things like that um and so I could, and I, and I did talk about this a lot. I haven't visited it in a while, but like part of my hang up with social media for a real ever was like, how is it not a performance? And if it's a performance, then how do I not, like, how am I supposed to show, like, I just like could not wrap my head around it because like you said, it's like, everything has meaning. Like the environment that I just show up in, like says something about me it's like it's all part of the story of like who I'm presenting to the world um but if I can't the part that I haven't done before is like think about how and why I'm so comfortable talking to clients um because my partner would be like you talk all day long you are not you don't have an issue with talking and I do I talk on virtual coaching calls and share information and read books and share the information all day long. But like I said, there's been this disconnect of like how to do that in a larger context and online. Um, I wonder if it's because with a client, there's already trust that they know that you're the expert, like they're paying you for that. Actually the opposite. It's that I view my coaching as a co-creative process where I'm not the expert. I am. And this is another thing we can talk about, like, uh, that, that I was thinking about how sometimes, uh, you're like five steps ahead of someone with something. Sometimes you're one. So with Pilates, I'm an expert with somatic coaching. I'm an expert, but with like life coaching, it's, there's this like necessary model of like, I'm not your guru. I don't know more about you than you know about you. And what I'm coaching you to do is trust your own intuition and in that exchange, my ego is sort of set to the side because I'm just, everything that, that I'm talking to you about is based on, it's, it's, it's very similar to how I conceptualize Reiki. Like if I start a Reiki session and my ego's in the room, Reiki doesn't happen because what I need to do is like, I mean, and of course my ego is in the room. Like we can't, I haven't like uh, achieved like perfect egoic death. But what I'm getting at is that like, and you were talking about this too recently, like the act of like really wanting, really trying, like really trying to see a ghost, really trying to like heal someone perfectly. That and um, um, my somatic mentor used to talk about this as like agenda. When you have an agenda, the energy of the agenda negates certain possibilities. And so when I'm, even in this exchange, like I feel more comfortable because it's like, it's just, 
all I'm doing is interacting with the energy and it's like co-creating. And I'm sure the trust is a huge part of it. Like on the internet, I don't know how to, I can't pop, like, I don't know who's going to see it. Right. Yeah. But I think that that, that performative aspect of like, um, being assumed the expert because I'm now making a TikTok about something is what I have like a aversion to. I don't like that thing, um, which is why now if I, someone recently was saying like, just view your TikTok followers as your own private Facebook group full of people that really want to like engage with what you do. And to me, that's fine because I don't have any problem coming up to one of, or like engaging in a call with one of my clients. I mean, like, I read this, it's amazing. You should read it because I know that they're going to take it or leave it or give me feedback on their own terms. But with the internet, it's like, there's such a momentum to have like, um, what are they called? Like those, how you start the post so that it like engages, like hooks, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I feel like with the internet, it's very interesting because people like with me, I feel like I, I personally feel that in comparison to like a standard psychic medium, I'm a bit different. Like my practices and approaches, the vibe I give off, I feel like in general is different than the norm usually is. But when people see me or even like if I post something on Instagram, I was trying to get on TikTok and I just cannot, I just don't resonate with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I have to force myself. But what I like about Instagram is I feel like I've really cultivated like my little corner, mm-hmm. you know, whereas with TikTok, I feel like people are applying preconceived notions about spiritualists or just like TikTok psychics or whatever, Mm -hmm. which I don't resonate with. And I feel I'm very different from, Mm -hmm. um, like, I almost feel like I keep having to, oh, and this may be why it stresses me out. I feel like I keep having to like, be very clear about who I am. And again, those are labels and it's just Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to do that, but I feel like that's my problem for putting so much emphasis on having to dictate how I'm being perceived rather than just like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that hardcore. Like I, I feel that, yeah, there is so much, it seems like pressure to define who you are to gain a community on something like TikTok, because it's like, people need to know who you are. And there's kind of an ongoing dialogue now between like the pro niche people and the, the like non-niching people. Um, and someone I follow talks about like, your niche can be your face, but like bring all of you with your face. You don't have to like hide things you like to stay in a niche because we create these like categories that we then feel sort of like burdened by. Um, but I can understand the the TikTok thing. Cause like sometimes on my TikTok scrolling, there's like these um, people live that are just like answering questions, like psychic mediums that I'm like, they make me so uncomfortable. I'm like, this is, this is not it um, <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> um, so there, there ha- but I think that it's also kind of indicative of like 
this this transition of like culture moving towards spirituality more there's a hunger for it you know I feel like I feel like you saying the how people will do wives of like doing sessions and whatever I don't like those either and I think where it comes from where my dislike stems from is um do from doing psychic hotlines and feeling so taken advantage of and I think on Instagram I feel like I have a lot of really meaningful relationships with people Mm -hmm. where I feel appreciated and I feel like there is a very honest exchange I'll randomly get dms of people like um can you can you answer a question for free real quick or something like Mm -hmm. that and it's like no and on TikTok, I feel like I get that more of people just like giving me questions. And I feel like because naturally I'm very empathic and I want to help people, I get frustrated because it's like, it's not their fault. That's just like mm-hmm. training, you know? Yeah. But to me, it's like, this is my time and energy and I feel guilty for not answering you. So I think that's also where the distaste or mm-hmm. the dislike stems yeah. from, you know? But with those live things it's like I don't like those because then I just feel like a robot or like a like a machine it's non-co-creative and Mm -hmm. for me this is something that like I don't I don't judge the people doing those things because they're I think that like the thing about when you decide to show up in real time in the state of what of growth that you're in it means that like there are psychics healers somatic coaches all these different things that are like coming online at whatever stage of their development they're in and so it's just having the discernment to know like what is best for your you as Mm -hmm. a follower right but like something you're describing um manifested for me uh in my journey of doing energy work because I got into energy energetic healing practices just intuitively I was a Pilates instructor moving watching bodies move all day long um and started to recognize uh, just in a clear sentient way this is what they need so then I would start to implement those things but it was again in words through the container of a Pilates client relationship, which is a certain dynamic because it's like, I'm an expert, I'm offering Pilates, you are the paying customer, whatever, right? Um, And there was a resonance to what I was doing and people would be like, I've had this pain for five years and it's gone. Like, what did you do? And at the time I was still like technically selling Pilates because I didn't know where, I didn't know where else to go. And then what happened was I started having that energy that you're describing where people would show up and just be like, can you just fix me? Can you just heal me? And it's like, okay, so I'm just a vessel for your healing. And like, I got so drained and depleted that I had to like take a break and just fully stop. And so now I have a prerequisite of only engaging in these practices with people who have agreed to a co-creative process of healing that they are actively engaged in. And so I think that that's like the boundary that you're talking about too, where it's like, I'm not gonna do this on TikTok. And it's not, it's not selfish 
because it's like you know that the exchange won't be right yeah what I mean yeah and I think it's beautiful that some people do feel joy yeah doing those things you know Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's also like it's everybody has a place you know and I feel like the people that enjoy doing readings like that are bringing a lot of visibility to spirituality Mm -hmm. and stuff which is amazing um but I just I can't do that Mm -hmm. yeah you know and I think knowing like how our gifts are best used is like part of it's a necessary part of our process you know what I mean yeah understanding how we best serve others and getting really clear about that mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're feeling like really like settled <laughs> what are you thinking I was just thinking about the crackers there and I like my gaze <laughs> fell on them and I was like ooh <laughs> cracker food sounds exceptional right now can we talk about one more topic mm-hmm. okay I want to talk about the idea of um making honest connections whether it be mm-hmm. through performance or just exchanges I so we have been exploring the idea of performance where we are connecting to people's souls um like making love in a sense um I had a gig last week where we were dancing and the guy that was hosting it started dancing with us mm-hmm. but he didn't make eye contact with any of us Mm -hmm. like it was for a live stream thing and he was just dancing and he was doing great but he was like oh good job guys and he was like like looking to the side and it's like like it was weird because I'm Mm -hmm. used to dancing with people where it's like you need to be in tune with people's bodies you need to make eye contact like you you are you have to be like the same body in a sense or like Mm -hmm. you're part of the same energy and I mean granted he's not a dancer but just the idea of this sense of like, he's performing for a camera, but what they're perceiving is so disconnected from what's actually happening. Cause it's mm-hmm. giving off some sort of truth, but in the moment it's like, there's so much disconnection and yeah. it just feels like we're playing parts mm-hmm. rather than actually being yeah. the parts, you know? Yeah. Um, there's like lots of thoughts that come to mind. Um, It's funny, I don't actually think that this is like that far of a departure from like the topic we just sort of wrapped on because I think as performers, there is sometimes an expectation of like, entertain me. Yeah. And it's not co-creative. And And that's what I don't like about the psychic things too, is we were talking about, that's what I was thinking in my head is I feel like I'm like a circus clown or something. Mm -hmm. It's... um. It's interesting because and I think that like people that do the type of work that you and I do are in tune with a sense of our oneness, right? Like the interconnectedness of everything, um, a non-separateness. And so when someone is engaging with us in a way that like creates a context of separateness, it's like, oh, okay, this is not like what we're doing. 
You this reminds I mean? me, I went to, I had to get my car serviced. I think this was last year or the year before, um, but I went to get my car serviced and I had this weird, I think I had been doing like sessions all morning. So I was feeling very like connected with people. And then I went and the guy that was taking care of my car, like he had his little like suit on and he was acting professional. And I was like, this is so weird. Why are you like, we're just humans. Like you can mm-hmm. like relax, like just be you. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you putting up this front? And I, I just started thinking about that, how just with interactions, like even if you go to the store and somebody's like, hello, how was your day? There are some people that like really are just sitting mm-hmm. in themselves and it feels really special to talk to them, but it's just, it just seems so silly. And again, that goes into the idea of like radical self-exploration or whatever, Mm -hmm. just like, just be you. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I recently decided that I am applying for a position at like a, to be a stylist at a store. And I had to like do a resume and I was like, oh my God, this is kind of weird. Like I had to really fully like address the fact that I have like existed outside of quote unquote societal norms by being an independent contractor my whole adult life and never sort of like falling into this certain pathway. Um, And like, I think we're, (laughs) it's like we're, the conversation is like you said, it's like, word vomiting but it all feels like I still feel very connected to this original question which has to do with performance right because like just this act of like having to put together a resume for a certain thing um and how you have to format things or like just like you're saying these different scenarios where it's like accountants dress like this or this person does this and then you go into this social interaction but the thing about the thing about that like freaks me out the most is sort of the gaslighting as if these ways of being are just normal. That's the part that I think is weird is like it's assumed that that car person is going to behave that way. And for most people that makes them comfortable because they expect it, I think. But for people like you and me that are trying to connect on an authentic level, it's like, why are you, why are you, why are you doing this? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean like I get very uncomfortable when I feel that specific feeling that you're talking about where I'm just like again it's it's um I f- and I've and I've felt I never feel socially awkward I feel like this is true of everyone I guess but I never feel socially awkward with like the people that I really resonate with but I feel the most socially awkward in situations where I feel like there's an unwritten social contract of behavior that like everyone has agreed to and no one is willing to talk about. <laughs> yes, like, absolutely. I feel so, oh, yes. <laughs> like we're just going to pretend like wearing these clothes and like saying these phrases and like buying this drink or doing this thing is just like normal. And you're weird if you don't. But then if you talk to people one-on-one, they're like, yeah, I don't really like doing it either. It's like, then what is happening? Yeah, I feel like I feel that way, especially with dating. Yeah. And I haven't even dated that much because I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. 
yeah. like with my current boyfriend I feel like he's the only person that I've ever actually had a date and it was the most awful process <laughs> I hated it yeah it felt so weird yeah um and and I think going back to like the question you posed about like how this relates to performing um so Amber and I are creating a I guess because it's the most approximating <laughs> Approximately, approximately correct word, a burlesque act, um, which has caused me personally to explore like different avenues of like burlesque historically and where it is now. And I think part of what you and I have both expressed an interest in exploring is like not co-signing to the things that are expected in that space as that sort of unspoken agreement that like because it's burlesque this is what is expected um and especially in LA I don't think there's really any base level norm like there's so many different iterations of burlesque in LA um but the thing that I love about it is that there is a culture built into it of interaction like burlesque performers crawl on the table they swing from the bar they crawl on the bar they like they interrupt that like there's not the fourth wall that there is with a stage and there um there is almost like an unspoken agreement that when you go to a burlesque show you sort of know that like the dancer might step on your seat or they might like lay on your table like like the the framework for it is different um and creates a different container for connecting um something that I think would be interesting for us to kind of try to like tease out this further is um uh Amber and I were ideating um and talking about the the act of undressing and our own relationships to it or experiences of it perceptions of it whatever um I'm not looking at you right now either, but that's because I'm just, I'm like <laughs> realizing like I'm not no, you're making right. eye contact, but I'm like going back to the conversation. Yeah, you're um, and something I got really excited about was the idea of choreographing a contrasted moment where I was undressing in a more stereotypical burlesque sense. So I'm, which to me, undressing is an act of vulnerability. And it is an act of self-love, radical self-love. Like I love myself enough to be vulnerable enough to show you who I am to this degree, um, right? Like you could, we could go deep on the concept of like the, the, the body and male gaze or non-male gaze or whatever. But for me, like that is part of why I love burlesque um, is the vulnerability aspect. And so I'm in this choreography being vulnerable by undressing. Um, but then we talked about you not undressing physically, but like just sitting in, and staring someone in the eye and making like a soul connection. And what was really interesting to me is when I like put this scenario into the environment of my favorite place to perform burlesque, which is Harvell's in Long Beach. Um, I saw myself in like one corner of the room and then you like at the opposite <laughs> corner <laughs> I have pictured the whole thing in my mind and I was like oh this is this is such an interesting tension because I think 
I'll be over there taking my clothes off and people will be more interested in watching you make eye contact with someone (laughs) because they'll be like, what is happening? (laughs) Like, because it is so radical to make eye contact for an extended period of time with anyone who isn't like, you know, and this is something that like, I've thought about a lot because when I was getting my undergraduate degree in dance, like some of my, one of my professors in particular would sometimes do this warm up where we would just walk around the room. So there's 20, 23 of us and we're all just like stirring the room with our energy. And then he would be like, pause. And then we would find someone and we would have to make a soulful connection of eye contact until he said to move again. And like maybe the first time it was like uncomfortable, but then the more and more we did it, the more our nervous systems just co-regulated, dropped in. And there's just like, it feels like the energy shifts to just be slightly more grounded because there's less guessing whether or not we can trust each other. And it's just like, okay, like Mm. our souls are all connected. I have two thoughts there. The first thought is Joni is like that. She has no problem making eye contact. Mm -hmm. And when I dance with people that don't have Charles, when I dance, I would love Charles to be on here. Yeah. (laughs) When I am able to dance with somebody that's not afraid of making eye contact, there's almost this like vulnerable exchange of we're both present, we're both here together. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're dancing with somebody and they feel uncomfortable with it and they break eye contact, like sometimes I feel like I overstare especially mm-hmm. like in the samba routines there are times where we have to do like a full count of eight looking yeah. at each other and I'm just like okay I'm just gonna stare <laughs> fully yeah. um and when somebody breaks it there's almost like I feel like that insecurity or that discomfort almost creates this sense of unease whereas mm-hmm. when you're with somebody that feels safe to like have eye contact there's like you know it's like oh, this like trust thing almost is established Mm Because it's like you're both agreeing to be vulnerable. And I feel like with people like that, naturally, I just feel very safe and comfortable with them, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. And then that also pulls me into the song that we're using, Trust in Me. Yeah. I kind of love that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think that um, something, sometimes I've known performers to do this type of thing as an act of protest um and there's an edginess to it like I'm gonna make eye contact with you knowing that you're gonna look away and then that's gonna be my performance art let Mm -hmm. me be like Mm -hmm. let me show you how effed up society is you can't even like hold eye contact with me um and that's interesting and valid Um, but in my work as a coach, I have gotten so much feedback that like, I felt really safe in the Reiki session because I had no idea what was going to happen. And Lolly didn't just have me lay down on the table. They fully explained the, the situation to me until I felt clear. Like I don't have people lie down on the table until they feel some, until there's been sort of an energetic exchange of our nervous systems co-regulating. And I have a sense that their body um, is like ready, right? 
And so something I was thinking about as you were talking um, is like, what might that look like for us as performers to, you know, at the beginning of burlesque shows, there's oftentimes like a, an intro recording that's like, please be mindful of this. You know, there's like a big safety thing with like your glasses and glass bottle, like, you know, be aware of the dancers, this, that, whatever, please take photos, don't take photos, whatever. Um, but including in that some explanation of like eye contact is an opportunity to connect. Because I know that for me, sometimes I avert eye contact in that way that you're talking about when I'm, I'm not ready or I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting it. Mm-hmm. And as a performer, my empathy kicks in where I'm like, oh shit, like I was in a really weird headspace just now. <laughs> and I don't want them to make, I don't want them to like connect with my soul and be like, oh, she's judging me or she's this or what they're this or whatever, you know, like, um, but when I'm like dropped in and ready, like, do you know what I mean? It's that it's like, have it's like, it's like giving our nervous systems that bit of a primer. Like that's, that's the thing about that container of the modern class where like, the exercise was to move around and then have moments of eye contact, but you can't necessarily expect people whose nervous systems are in varied levels of trauma responses to be okay with it with a stranger at a grocery store mm-hmm. without any gateway to having a safe experience of it. Without, without knowing it can be safe, it's hard to expect people to take that leap. Mm-hmm. And I would be interested in us experimenting you know what I mean with instead of stopping at that point of like okay we're we're going to show up on our end like are you going to meet us here with the eye contact it's like but how can we help Mm. you know what I mean yeah I was something weird happened where I was just thinking I saw an eye and I saw like it's almost like giving off the sense of like no it's okay you can look mm-hmm. but then I also like that we both kind of locked in at the moment yeah we were just like <laughs> um I- I'm curious because this is something that I am very passionate about like how do you hold space for or how do you adjust your nervous system for a client what do you mean exactly so like a clear example is my first somatic coach um would talk about how you can't replicate an experience you haven't had so sometimes like someone could be saying these words to you over and over again, like engage this muscle, engage this muscle. And like conceptually, you know, the map of the muscle, but like you can't access the sensation. There's no like switch you can turn on where those words suddenly cause you to take that action. But if uh, something helps to scaffold you to have the experience of it, then you can replicate that experience again. So mirroring or co-regulating helps create a container for that. So like when I was like having really in 
bad mental health periods and disassociating from my body, the somatic therapist actually consciously grounding down and sensing gravity helped me subconsciously know what that looks like and be able to like tap into it. Um, and I, and I asked her at the time, like, what is happening when I'm meditating with you in the room? Like, why is it so much easier? And then she started to explain it. And then it's something that I've like gone into the depths of studying and understanding as a coach, um, how I am being affects that co-creative process that we're talking about. Um, is there a version of that for you in your work? When I have a session, so I feel like a good example of this would be, well, this is a very direct example. Um, but when I am like training somebody to tap into their energy, I can sense the way in which they are tapping in and like this is actually what's cool about the conversation that I had with Michael is towards the end of it I like started tapping into this weird 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 world and he kind of started tapping into and it's like I can sense how people are tapping in or like if what is exactly holding them back so then I can kind of like talk them through it mm -hmm. um but I feel like a big thing that I use is usually Reiki, where if I'm saying something and I'm feeling some sort of resistance from them, I kind of like lean deeper in with the sense of like love and like almost putting a bubble around them and just sending a little bit of healing to like be like, it's okay. It's more of like an energetic mm -hmm. thing where I'm trying to like fill in the places that are a little bit uncomfortable or where they are kind of holding back. Yeah. Where there's a little bit of like tension you know mm -hmm. and I'm trying to fill that with like love and light and like almost massaging it where it's like you're safe here we're okay yeah like you know mm -hmm. so I tend to do that more energetically um I will talk them through it as well but I feel like a lot of that just comes from like energetic intention you know mm -hmm. yeah and presence uh-huh and I think a lot of times because of my background and just all the stuff I've been through, you know, people usually feel safe to talk to me mm -hmm. and like, I'm not somebody to judge at all whatsoever, you know? And I feel like by just meeting them wherever they are and mm -hmm. just like going down the path with them and me saying like, that's fine. That's cool. You know, mm -hmm. and not like judging it or saying anything usually helps them open up a bit more. Yeah. I mean, that in itself, like, is an energetic framework that you are creating. Like, the mm -hmm. non-judgmental framework is a, is a thing. Um, so how do you feel like this translates to as dancers? Because so much of, like, dancing, especially in LA, is like, I'm hot. Look at me. I'm hot. <laughs> so mm. how, how do you, uh, like, intersect? You know, know what's weird, too? I do samba like I'm in a fucking bikini and I don't like it's like even with our burlesque thing like I want to put clothes on mm -hmm. <laughs> rather than me want to take stuff off I feel like I'm in environments where naturally you would think somebody would like be feeling that and I don't and that's something that I appreciate about Jonia too because I feel like she just is there for the joy of fucking samba because she fucking loves it you mm -hmm. know and it's not 
it's not carrying this weird facade. She's carrying the history and the joy and the meaning behind it. And so I feel like with dance, one thing I really love doing in performances is I love having honest moments. Like I laugh a lot when I perform. Mm -hmm. Like I like having those moments of like, something is happening. This is an experience. I'm not just putting on this weird show. Like we're actually exchanging. And if something goes wrong, I'm going to laugh or like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, Mm -hmm. there are these little moments. And even with audience, like if somebody's yelling something like, I'll like laugh or, you know, like smile at them or, you know, like I try my best to honor the collaboration with the audience and the dancers and the stage and whatever that is happening rather than just trying to present this like perfectly curated image like mm-hmm. this is an experience yeah. that we are all part of you know mm-hmm. it matters because we all are agreeing that it matters yeah and like actively taking part in it mm-hmm. in real time um I think that's something that I've been like trying to create in my contemporary class. I feel like when I started, especially, I just felt like people were looking at me in the front of the room with this like level of detachment. Like I'm here to take contemporary class and like learn whatever you want to put on me. And I'm like, I felt like, I felt like I was up there just like being like, hello, hi. Like I'm like tapping on glass. I'm like, no like (laughs) I just can we dance together and like I feel like I've been doing these experiments of like okay what if we do this breathing exercise what if I give you this improv prompt how does that help like sort of break that like container of like student and teacher or like you know um in that way um And I feel like it can be the same with audiences, which is why I love burlesque because it's like, there's at least some level of like an understanding that it's a much more communal type Mm -hmm. vibe than a proscenium theater with a stage and a fourth wall. Yeah. But I'm really excited to see where our journey takes us uh, with the burlesque. Um, I feel like it's also performance art, like, for sure. I I feel like where we're going is, like, definitely its own. I think it's what we talked about in the beginning is, like, a word is just a label, but it's, it's like the word bat can either mean a baseball bat or a flying bat. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that... um, as much as I think you and I especially can be like annoyed with words or labels because we understand that they're just approximations. I think they're also incredibly powerful because they are how we shift consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, And something like with my art brand being called lollipop culture, I've always been interested in pop culture, but then how are you, how am I as an artist, like subversively also shifting culture? I never um, thought about how it says pop culture. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, never, I never thought about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm like crazy on my like brand integrity. Like I, <laughs> the people that like, like my graphic designer and like people who work with me, I'm like, we never say LPC. 
It is not, it cannot be reduced to that either in typing or in words. It has to be said. And then like the L, the P and the C are all capitalized because the pop exists between lolly and culture. So it's both lollipop and pop culture. And that's what it means. Um, (laughs) But um, I'm in the process of creating a magazine. And the choice for it to be a magazine was something I like dove deeply into because I started to feel, I was excited about it. And then I started to feel confined by it because there's all these like preconceived ideas about what a magazine is. And then I was like, but it's my magazine. So I can do whatever I want. So in my brain, it's more of an art book, but it's intentionally called a magazine because that is my conversation with pop culture because magazines are a part of pop culture. And they're more easily consumed because if, if you, if, if we just like float around being like, well, we have this dance act, but it's not really dance and it's not really burlesque, (laughs) but it's like this, then people are like, great. So who do I book you? Where do I book you? Like, (laughs) yeah, no. And I'm like, I have this thing. It's not a magazine. It's not really a book either. Like, Like it's really hard to extend that to larger audiences. Yes. I feel that. So, yes. I feel that. Well, this was so much fun. Thanks for talking, friend. Yeah. Um, we'll do it again. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I'm um, terrified and excited to hear this played back. Um, but <laughs> I, am, I am fairly certain I will be starting a podcast soon, largely inspired by you. So oh, yay. This is sort of my like warm up too. Yes, they're very fun. They're very, they're very interesting, but I've enjoyed it. (laughs) All right, my friend. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going (laughs) to stop recording. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lolly. I love you so much. Thank you so much for having a conversation with me. Again, if you want to get in touch with them, you can find them at mindfulhealingtouch.com or lollipopculture.com with a Y instead of an I or on Instagram with those same um, words, Mindful Healing Touch or Lollipop Culture. I will have the links to all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, Next week, is going to be a conversation with another dear friend of mine. Um, ah, these conversations are getting so good. I love this momentum. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week ahead, my friends. I'm sending you love, and I will see you very soon. Mm-hmm.